This is a new podcast series called Clarity Generates Confidence. Welcome to this episode of Clarity Generates Confidence. I'm very excited to have with me a gentleman I've known for quite a while and been involved with them, helping the company along, Marshall Stereo, who's the founder and CEO of Surgically Clean Air. And Surgically Clean Air is a really, really unique organization that has really blossomed and exploded over the time of COVID. I can't think of a better person to describe it what's going on than Marshall. Marshall, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Gary. I really appreciate it. Maybe just describe a little bit how you got this going, kind of a unique start to the company as well, but also really what's happened over the last year and a half and what's been really exciting for, for you guys and, and, and how you've helped a lot, of, a lot of places around the world, actually. I started the company around 2010, and I saw a this very unique-looking system that was designed as a rapid response to the SARS epidemic. And this group out of China, this medical doctor, had developed this, and no one really could sell it in North America. I felt there was a you know hole in the marketplace, a niche for you know commercial air purification. So I took on the line and grew the company. Now we have multiple engineers and R&D department developing our own machines. And our niche in the marketplace now is portable, commercial grade air purification for any size space. So we can scale from a very small office to a multi-million square foot factory. So we have 20 plus pro professional sports teams. We're the number one air purifier in dental in North America. Walmart, we clean the air for 4 million square feet of uh, distribution centers for them, universities, schools. I mean, the the list goes on. But pre-COVID, our primary business vertical was dental. We considered ourselves a dental company and we sold into the other categories here and there. But once COVID came into being, everything exploded. So Marshall, what was it about dental that just made that a a natural and and whether prior to COVID or even after COVID, I still think that's going to be a huge space for people to want to feel safe in. So dental, there's two reasons. One is upon doing research, what is the most toxic environment in a white collar atmosphere? And it's dental because of their high speed instruments. Every time you put a high speed instrument in someone's mouth, whatever's going on with them physiologically gets aerosolized. And whoever's in the room in the practice is breathing that in for 41 hours. So you multiply that by 10, 20 you know, patients a day, you can see you've got a fairly toxic cloud of stuff going on in the air. That was one reason. The second reason is from a business perspective, who is used to buying equipment? Who knows they have bad air? Who can make fast decisions from a business perspective? And it was dental. I mean, hospitals was a category we looked at but the sales cycle was so long and there's tenders involved that we focused on dental. And it didn't mean that there aren't other categories that we should have been focusing on, but that's the reason we focused on dental. I've known this for a bit of time because of you, but that's why I, I wonder why I always don't want to do one of the first appointments in the dental office of the day. So it, so at least I wasn't infected by it for the rest of, the, you know, being one of the last people to come Absolutely. in. Absolutely. That is the number one thing you can do going to the dental office, even over air purification be the first patient in. So, so Marshall, there's one other little cute story that like, maybe not so cute. It concerns the Walter Reed Medical Center back during Trump's presidency. I understand you had to ship a whole whack of units down there in a very short notice. A little bit of background on that story for us, Marshall, please. 
they reached out to us through the FBI and the Navy because they wanted systems for the hospital, you know, where, where Trump went when he had COVID. And they wanted a premium product that, you know, has efficacy for what it does. And they landed on us. They also wanted to make sure that there was no Wi-Fi in any of the systems. So on the particular model they purchased, there was no Wi-Fi because they don't want that interrupting any of their other equipment. They subsequently actually, so they bought over, oh my God, over, over 130 machines. But they subsequently went on during the Biden administration to purchase some units for the medical suite at the Oval Office. Awesome. Yeah, I wasn't aware of that. Again, what I like about this is that even at the highest levels in the government, the U.S. government, that there's a recognition that this is going to be uh, what they needed to protect, clearly one of the most important people in the world. So congratulations to you for that one. No, thank you. What surprised you about the change of attitude, the speed of what happened? And maybe if you would describe a little bit of what took place as we came through the early part of 2020 and as, as 2020 unfolded for Surgically Clean Air. I'd, I've never really had a chance to ask you that. Yeah, it was it was drinking from a fire hose, to say the least. Very long days went from eight hours a day, five days a week to 14 hours a day, six days a week. So it, it definitely changes from a workload perspective. But we think we were extremely well positioned in the marketplace because we already had thousands of systems at the foot of dental chairs. So dentists kind of knew who we were. Certainly in Canada, they did. In the U.S., you know, it's a big market there. So everyone scrambled to buy something because of the messaging that was out there. Now, at the beginning, the messaging was primarily surface. So we saw real run on nitrile gloves. We used to sell nitrile gloves. We don't anymore. We donated all of them. I just think people panicked and they just went out and bought everything and anything. Surgically Clean Air, clearly we want a big chunk of the dental market because we were already there. But dentists were messaged that they had to do something or they weren't allowed to see patients. It even went so far as the uh, regulatory body said they had to have negative pressure rooms. Well, nobody did that or virtually nobody did that. Slowly the panic subsided, you know, sales diminished. I mean, they're still significantly higher than pre-COVID, but people got more knowledgeable. As they got more knowledgeable, they realized that they wanted premium systems and not these plastic toys, I call them. When you see that, now, I mean, I don't know how you felt, but I, as I said, just prior to coming on the, on the conversation, I really felt we would be through this pandemic. I did not foresee the additional variants and the other things that are happening. What do you see now as, we, as the world's unfolding? I know both of us have had our, both of our shots, but we're far from over, my perception is at this point. Oh, I, I, I tend to agree. Um, again, this is just my opinion from the evidence I've read and from you know, people much smarter than me globally. And they're saying this is going to be swirling around the world for the next three or four years. We will be having to get boosters. One thing that is a lot of people don't understand is if we don't get the rest of the world vaccinated fast, meaning, you know, Africa and South America and, you know, India, variants can spin out of control to the point where the efficacy of our current vaccines may not be good enough and we'll start to see more outbreaks. So it's great that we're all doing everything in Canada, U.S., Israel, U.K. You know, we seem to be doing extraordinarily well. 
But if we slow down and we don't donate vaccines to these you know, emerging nations, there's going to be some significant problems and this is going to faster for a long time. And again, that's just an opinion. I mean, nobody knows definitively. Marshall, I have to say, I agree with you. The reading and the webinars, other sources that I've seen and been on to are really saying the same thing. Both of us deal in China and we've had to divert containers recently from the port of Guangzhou because there's a breakout of COVID there, which hadn't really happened before. The containers are now going to have to come out of Hong Kong. So we're and they can move around. I mean, I've just, there were a couple of episodes before this with people from China that I've known well, and they are saying they can move around pretty easily, but not getting in and out of the country. And so we're not going to have that mobility until we all get the world looked after. Yeah. And then and, and also, I mean, if we just look to our, the US, they've hit a plateau on first doses and they've unfortunately hit the plateau at a too low a percentage in my opinion, and they're going to continually have outbreaks. So I'm hoping Canadians will continue what we're doing right now and really push the envelope so we can get up to the 80% mark for first doses. Then we really do have some herd immunity. But I think the U.S. is at around 60, and that's not enough. And just for the sake of the audience, this is being recorded in the middle of June 2021. So the as when this gets out, the information may be a little bit different, but we're seeing it at this point. So let me bring it back to surgically clean air and what you see, because what I'm reading now and seeing and something I've always, always believed, we found that we know that masks have been effective, but it seems to be that it's the, the movement of the air and the virus being carried and the virus particles and are being carried in the air. So what does that mean for your business? And what's that mean for us to be able to try and protect ourselves? Because it sounds like these viruses are still going to be around and other viruses too, that will certainly be prevalent for us in the years ahead. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I, I, I think it just boils down to education. I mean, if you think back early of early on in the pandemic, everything was surface. And even now, like, there's people going in hazmat suits and, you know, blasting schools and stadiums. But people don't understand that there's a one in 10,000 chance you can get COVID from a surface. It's very, very rare to get it from a surface. So now the messaging is pivoting to air. Now, here's where the messaging is a little bit off is that they say it's six feet. That's entirely not true. It's significantly larger than that. There's a lot of studies out there that show computational fluid dynamics about how air actually moves. You can be sitting three feet away from someone, and depending on the air currents in that room, you may be totally protected, where someone 30 feet away is getting the direct aerosol that you're breathing out as someone that has COVID. So I, I believe, and again, it's just an opinion that the government, the governments are all sticking with six feet because if they tell what the studies I've read, people are going to panic and they're not going to listen to this. It, it would be, they don't want to create panic. I'm, I'm taking a wild guess as to why they're not messaging that. It's going to have to be addressed. General offices have to talk about ventilation. I mean, clearly you still have to do surface of disinfection, even if it's not for COVID, just for all types of colds and whatnot. You have to have you know, low VOC emitting products. You need to increase your fresh air intake on your buildings. And you need to augment that with mechanical filtration to get up to six air changes per hour, because that seems to be the messaging that's coming out. The average HVAC system can do around two air changes per hour, and only a portion of those two air changes per hour is actually fresh air. So unless it's a very expensive purpose-built system, which 99% of buildings are not, 
they're going to have to augment those two, two and a half air changes per hour from the building system with portable air purification. There really is no other way to do it in the current technologies that we have, again, unless it's purpose-built and extremely expensive. But how many buildings are in North America that are already built? I mean, there's millions. So it, it's a big, big problem. Two things, Marshall, and I agree with you. Early on, I read about a restaurant, I believe in New York, and they come into your point about how it travels. And literally what happened was they, they found out that half the restaurant basically ended up being in contact with COVID. A lot of people got COVID, but in one section of the restaurant. And in the other section of the restaurant, people that could sit right beside each other who were affected by a different side of the ventilation system didn't. So it was, you know, even, and then nobody really drew the correlations that you're drawing right now that said, you know, this is why, why was it happening? So it, it wasn't about six feet at that point in time. It was simply about how the air got circulated in that restaurant. And so why part of that quote population inside that restaurant was affected as opposed to the other part didn't. And, you know, no one's ever really talked about that until you brought that up here again today. And I, I appreciate you've done that because I don't we're not hearing that information at all. I, I don't. I don't think we will in the general public. It will create a bit of panic or distrust of you know government's messaging, uh, which is you know just as bad uh, because then people may not trust taking the vaccine. And vaccines work. If nothing else, people take away from this podcast: get your vaccine. They work, and we can see the numbers plummeting in the countries that have got good percentages of the population. We're at that sort of crossroads point, I think, where it's opening up certainly far more in the United States, certainly across Canada. I was talking to someone in the UK the other day, and he was kind of proud he was back in his office. I don't think there are many people around him. I've had conversations with people in Spain, and they've gone back to their offices, both countries that were pretty hard hit. But from what you said, we're not out of the woods yet. And, and, our, and our ventilation systems that we have aren't really equipped to handle dealing with viruses. So, Marshall, Marshall, what do we do? How do, how do? how do we get people protected? Because we're not over, as we say. No, we're, we're, we're definitely not over. I, I think there's going to be a lot of mitigation strategies, work from home. One thing from a, just a businessman's perspective, business person's perspective is Zoom is one of the greatest things that's ever happened, I think. And I know it existed pre-COVID, but now everyone knows how to online meet now very easily. The technology's got better. I think that is going to play a very large role long-term. You probably get on the plane a lot. I get on a plane a lot. I hope to diminish that dramatically, uh, regardless of whether it's safe or not, just because it's faster and less expensive. But getting back to the building, I think there's going to be some companies that, that follow best practices and that some that don't. And it's going to be a perk. You know, do you care about air purification. I'm talking about when COVID kind of subsides a bit and some people will care, some won't. Some owners will care, some won't. I know it sounds kind of bleak, but that is that is the reality and we're already seeing that. There's a Harvard study done in 2019 and they asked employees, what is the outside of monetary, what is the number one perk you would like? And the number one perk, which even shocked us, was clean air, not to be confused with temp air temperatures or VOC emitting furniture or all these other categories, you know, gym memberships. It was air purification. 58% said that was their number one desire for a, for a wellness perk. 
we're, we're guessing in a COVID world, that number would be significantly higher. So even pre-COVID, people notice the air quality. So I, I believe companies that want to have best practices, best in class, they're going to do something. And it may only be 20, 30% of companies that do that. But how do you retain employees by keeping them happy? So it comes down to a, you know, management and monetary more than anything. And that's for, I'm talking about general office now. I mean, certain industries like dental, they have to do something. But general offices, it's going to boil down to who the company owner is. I agree with you on that side. But I, you know, something that my wife has pointed out to me, she said, Gary, you're going to be, as the owner and the, and the employer, you're going to be responsible for the safety of your people. Do you let people into your office who haven't been vaccinated, for example? Do you not look after it? And I kind of go, you know what? I don't know where that responsibility is going to fall. But I can tell you, again, in a, a couple of episodes prior to this, we had two back to back where people were on saying the power is being shifted from the employer to the employee with the mobility. You talked about Zoom. You talked about the mobility of people and to come to work. I've got a, you know, we have an office in China, as you know, I never really see them. I've got a rep in Mexico. I've got another one in Houston, out west. The person's working for us from Hamilton. We're here it's, and other people working for us. And some people I may never meet. And because I don't have to, and we don't have to get together. I hope we do. In fact, our accountant, originally German, she was here in Canada with her husband for a while, now have a family. She decided to move back to Germany and she's been there since March and she's on with us, quotes, full time to work with us from Germany, even, you know, five or six hours out. So we've got to look, I'm going to speak from an employer standpoint, we have to look out for our people. And if that study from Harvard, and I believe it to be true, is important, it's not something that we can just ignore and still expect to have a high quality workforce. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And on a bit of a tangent from that, my wife was working until just very recently at Li Kaixing and KT department, knowledge translation. And it's all of, you know, a lot of the things that they studied were things like working at home. What they discovered is working from home two or more days a week, productivity decreases. Working from home one day a week, productivity increases. So the magical number that I'm seeing is one day a week, one flex day a week, people can uh, work from home. I think that a lot of employers are going to probably adopt that, whether it's one or two days. I think of many employers adopted, but I, I don't know how you see. And I, I still you know, hang my hat that there's, you know, there's some employers that are best in class and care about their employees. And there's some that don't. And the, one, the only time will tell about what employees will do or not do for their employer when it comes to air quality. We think that the market is immense right now. And even if it diminishes, it'll still be an immense market of people wanting to do the right thing. But there, there's no question. We, we kind of laugh at the office that, you know, air is the new water. Think back 25, 30 years ago. If anyone said to me that I would have a, a water filter on my house and I would be buying bottled water for a dollar or more, I, I would have laughed at them. Well, we believe that air is at that tipping point now. A lot of experts in our field have said that the knowledge of air quality has been fast forwarded by 15 years in a matter of a few months. How many people a while ago knew what IAQ was, indoor air quality, what aerosols were, wearing masks? I mean, just it's kind of abnormal now when you go into some stores and see people not wearing a mask. It's kind of like, that's confusing. But a year ago, no one wore a mask. So 
you know, the tide is shift and there's going to be, I, I don't, I, I don't really love this term, the new normal. I kind of equate it to 9-11 a little bit in that it'll never be the same. It'll be different. You know, when you go and go in an airport after 9-11, it's very different, but you know, you don't think about it now. Same with air quality. We believe that people will do something. It'll become part of the fabric of society about addressing air quality in a significantly larger way than, than previous. One, one other quick comment is that the governments have been really good at, at monitoring outdoor air quality and putting restrictions and guidelines in place. Indoor air quality, their record is abysmal at best. It's absolutely abysmal. When we're in factories, cleaning air in factories and dental offices and this and that, pre-COVID, people would say, well, I want to get an air test done from a group to make sure that you know we meet the guidelines. And, and we say, hey, we'll save you the suspense. 100% you meet the guidelines of the government. But if that's your benchmark, then it's a pretty low benchmark. So we think it's not going to happen short term, but longer term the government is going to address indoor air quality with regulations. And we think that'll first come in the assisted living world first, because, you know, we can see what happened there. It's, it's so sad and depressing to see what happened. And a lot of it had to do with government messaging on indoor air quality. And if I take all of that and bring it down to the personal level, you know, we've had uh, one of your units here in the office for many years. In fact, I was very fortunate you brought it out to us. And, uh, but we've also got, a number of the jade units, the smaller ones, the portable ones that you talked about. And I actually put that in my home and not upstairs. I actually put it downstairs because not so much I worried about, you know, COVID. What I did worry about was the mustiness and and the other smell that was there. I got to tell you, Marshall, it's been in there since November. There is nothing there at all. And then our place up in Collingwood, which was built back in the 70s, clearly old basement had flooded, even though it was a sort of a crawl space style thing. So again, we don't use it really much in the summertime, so it'd be hot and closed in. I can tell you now that over the months we've been there, any kind of sort of mustiness smell or that might have been there is totally gone. Like that, those things, the units have taken it right out. So talking about indoor air quality, not only that, our place has a wood fireplace uh, right at the bottom of the, the Blue Mountains, the hills, and the wind would blow down and sometimes it would back up. Everything would always smell smoky. Even though it's not on the same level, Marshall, it the smoke smell doesn't continue to permeate, doesn't stay in everything. So I got to tell you, even from a personal level, using the units that are there, leave it on, leave it on automatic, let it run when it's got to run harder. It does it. It does the trick. And Melanie in our office got it in her condo. And she says, I notice when I'm cooking, it, it, it ramps up again and, and, you know, goes from the green to the yellow or whatever and you know, sucks it, cleans it all up and clears the air. So I don't even think we recognize even at home how, we have such an impact on our air quality and even the, like the jade units do an awesome job in being able to look after it. So I thank you for that because it's really made a difference to our enjoyment of our own places. Well, you, you hit a, actually a very good point in that a lot of people right now, uh, businesses and homeowners, they're all thinking COVID, but air quality is so much more than COVID from the off gassing of furniture to if you're an allergy sufferer, you know, there's 80 million allergy sufferers in the U.S. There's 25 million asthma sufferers. There are a lot of other things in the air that are affecting people. Uh, the Guardian put out an amazing article that said air pollution affects every single organ in your body. Indoor air pollution is the number one cause of human diseases. It's a trigger for so many different things. And the more you research it, 
the more you go, my God, this is scary. So another, just real quick, uh, quickly, there was another study that was done on particles in a home. If you have the windows closed and you have particles in the home, they tested the particles. Take a guess, Gary, what percent of particles had a man-made chemical attached to them? I would have said maybe 30%, something like that. 100%. Ooh, ooh, I should know I'm an engineer. Holy crap. (laughs) So 100%. Now, not all those man-made chemicals are dangerous, but it kind of makes you go, you know, it's, it's a bit of an aha moment saying chemicals, gases, viruses, you name it, attach to particles and float through the air and continue on. You know, we see we see a spike in sales every time there's a wildfire in whatever region that wildfire is running. So there's a lot, a lot of areas that are outside of COVID. And that's why we keep messaging. We are not a COVID solution. We are a air quality solution. We diminish what's in the air. And if you diminish what's in the air, then you're going to breathe less of this stuff. And it's really that simple. You know, Marshall, I mean, you know me, I've been I've been sold on this for a long time. And, and I think what helped me is 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 traveling outside of Canada. I remember being in Seoul one time in Mexico City and in December and how bad the air quality was there years ago. A number of times, 40 times I've been to China and, and seeing you know masks were common for people being outside and, and air quality. And uh, and then even my background as an engineering, just to see the rubber that we bring in from China, people would complain about the smells. And so we, I've had to deal with this for a long, long time. So when, you know, we got together and surgically clean air, I, I long before COVID felt there was a great opportunity. And I think you guys have been phenomenal in what you've done to, to bring that to light. And uh, we certainly uh, wish you all the success uh, in, in going forward. Marshall, just as we were coming here to, to wrap it up, it's been great. I really appreciate this conversation. Is there anything you've said an awful lot, but any last thing you'd like to, to say to our audience before we, we wrap up this podcast today, Marshall? Wow. I mean, there, there, there's so much, uh, you know, where, where do you start? But I, I would say, you know what, given where we are today on June 16th, get your vaccine. You know, that, that's really is, if we want to see an end to this, get your vaccine and don't hesitate. I, I've talked to so many, you know, anti-vaxxers out there and tried to explain to them why it's the right thing to do. That's what I would say. And then, you know, read, read. There's, there's lots of information out there. And sadly, the more you read, you know, the more depressed you might get. But at the same token, the more knowledge you'll get. Well, Marshall, I, I completely agree. I've been I've been a very strong proponent of uh, getting vaccinations here and around my office and uh, and with everybody that I've come in contact with. I completely agree that we it's it's a worldwide issue just because we're in Canada. We don't live in that bubble and we've got to deal with it. But also the second part of this and the reason for it is that I think surgically clean air offers that solution for indoor quality, which is so important to all of us and, and, and our health, even on a day to day, week to week, year in, year out basis. And so really appreciate all the work that you've done. So Marshall, thank you for that. And for our audience until next time, as Marshall would probably echo with me, stay safe and stay healthy. Thanks very much, Gary.